Hey, I'm Sean Canungo. This is another episode of Dangerous Ideas. We break down concepts and frameworks that will change your life. All right, we're here with another episode of Dangerous Ideas. My name is Sean Canungo. In this podcast, what we do is we break down concepts and frameworks that will change your life. And I'm really excited uh, to have Omar Mualam here. Um, and actually, we're going to be talking about his movie, Making Kayfabe. Uh, Omar, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. And you know why I'm so excited to have you? Because on a previous episode that I had with a, another individual that you know very well, Mo Mafus. You know uh, very well? We talked about the idea of kayfabe. Yeah. I'm obsessed with this idea. So before I get into this entire concept of kayfabe, I just want to give you a shout out because um, you are an inspiration to me. Uh, you know, part of the reason why um, I, I got into speaking was watching you. What? Uh, I watched your cats, Pechacucha, <laughs> like, a, you know, over a decade ago. Uh-huh. It was one of the greatest pieces of storytelling that I've ever seen. I wish, I, I hope, I don't know if it's recorded, but it, it was is, incredible. Yeah. Um, it was a presentation on cats and it was incredible. And I, you inspired me. Like, I, I want to do something too. I want to do a Pechacucha too. So I did a Pechacucha on the spelling bee. Went really, really my favorite Pachacucha. Oh wow! So I appreciate you watching that, and it was, it was one of those one of those moments where it's like I can speak on something that doesn't have to be so formal, that doesn't have to be so produced, and just be myself and be very personal, and you know, people enjoyed it, and 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 something something funny, kind of silly, low brow maybe, but has like a deeper almost like a uh you know has almost like an an elevated (laughs) you know education to it that's that's what i that's what i loved about your presentation on spelling bees what i what i also first did you know the first time i did this public talk on on sort of the rising status of cats in culture um which was like this really silly excuse to show people a bunch of cat memes but also talk about like what does this what does this really say about like the direction that our culture is moving um and that's that's what i that that's the the sort of like genre that i love to do the most is this like high low thing so i did that again with um uh with with a talk about donairs and and kebabs yes. And um, hopefully maybe one day a documentary on that very same subject, um, using that as like a way to talk about like migration and, and or, or food and how it travels with like migration and displacement and even things as heavy as like ethnic cleansing. Um, and then I did that with, with the, the Lebanese Burger Mafia, mm. uh, my last documentary, which was using like fast food as a way to talk about the Lebanese civil war, to talk about like corporate law. Um, and then that's what I'm doing with making kayfabe as well. So, so you mentioned this idea of high low. What do you What do you mean by high low? Like a low low brow concept kind of, with yeah, a high. Yeah, what, what I mean, maybe like? maybe more like a uh, something that is seen as like a low brow art mm. cat memes with like a high brow concept right behind it. Right, yes. love that. I love that. So, um, and and just to finish off on this thought. You know, I, I find you incredibly inspiring because you 
you just break the boundaries. Um, and it's inspired me for my entire career. You know, you entering into the documentary film space, you know, and, you know, I tried the same with, you know, with, with our special that you, you came to as well. Um, you being an incredible writer, storyteller, getting into film, uh, it's just you're breaking boundaries all the time. That's and- very kind of you. I feel the same way about you, though. And I think what we have in common is that we're self-taught mm. in, in this right? Like you, uh, you didn't, you didn't go to film school, journalism school. Um, I didn't go to journalism school. I just, I just became a journalist. It was something that I wanted to do. And I, and I taught myself it. Um, and then after a really long time, um, I wanted to, you know, I want to write books. So I just try to work my way into that. Right. And try to, try to like build up a portfolio that would earn me that opportunity. And then I wanted to make documentaries and I was just trying to apply the same kind of like creative nonfiction, uh, narrative journalist journalism techniques that I had learned and that people had taught me and apply that to film. Um, and I see that, you know, I see you doing that in, uh, in publishing, in speaking, in podcasting. And I really admire that about anyone who, you know, just has, has a goal and a realistic expectation of how to get there. And then they take the necessary steps to get there. Do you feel like being from Edmonton that you have to do it on your own? Do you feel it's, do you feel no, the, no. And I don't feel like I am doing oh, it on my own. Okay. No. Um, and you know, self, self-taught is, is kind of a bit of a misnomer. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the myth of the, the self-made man, right. Which, you know, my dad loves to talk about as an immigrant. Um, but in, you know, in reality, just as he had a, a community here that, um, believed in him, trusted him and supported him to get to open up, you know, the, the restaurant and the businesses that he had, um, you know, me being self-taught just means that I wasn't formally trained in this, right. but rather I learned it informally from other people who, uh, who, who believed in me and wanted to, wanted to teach me something or collaborate with me. Got it. So let, let, let me get into the movie, which I'm, I'm, I have a million questions about making kayfabe. Now, let me try to define kayfabe from what I know as a sure. as a lifelong. I'm no uh, expert either. Uh, well, hey, you just you just spent the last you know year just like becoming a wrestler. So uh, you 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 tell me. Um, to me, kayfabe is a social contract between the performer and the audience. It's an imaginary social contract where the performer knows that you know that it's not real. And scripted, we prefer scripted in professional okay, fine. wrestling. Scripted, the wrestling audience is real. knows that it's not. <laughs> the audience knows that as well. Yes. But yet, we play this game as if it is real. And yet, as an audience member, we have a genuine reaction to this scripted yes. piece. And it is so fascinating to me because the, I, I don't see other. You know, when we watch a movie, that's fiction. I know Star Wars. I know that's a fiction. When I watch sports, I know when I'm watching that basketball game that it's real, that the consequences are real. And yet wrestling sort of is in the middle of this. It is. Yeah. And there's nothing really like it. 
Yeah, no, you're you're right. There is. I, I mean, what is the closest thing to it? I would um, say social media is the closest thing to it. <laughs> it's it's a social contract where you you kind of know it's not really real for the most could, part. Like the 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 hmm, I want to say like the um, the intelligent social media user, but that's that's maybe not right. Uh, like you know not appropriate or, or not fair it's it's more like just like the self-aware one um because in you know by by those standards it's it's also a lot like reality television where you know i think that mm. most of us much of us at least are smart enough to understand that what we are seeing here is you know um it's it's staged in a lot of ways Right, that there is there's a producer behind the camera who's putting people in these scenarios, um, though of course, like you know, and and I think maybe maybe more importantly, knowing that the person that we see in this show is performing for us, they are performing an exaggerated version of themselves because the camera is on them, and once the camera is on someone, that it changes them. So, um, but I think you know, I don't know, like is 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 wrestling maybe closest to dinner theater? Um, you know, right. maybe that's not like fair to, to wrestling. Cause I think wrestling is so sophisticated actually. Um, but, but maybe in, in those terms, that's what it's the, the closest thing that it's to that. Like when we, when we enter the hall, um, as spectators, we now have to, uh, there's this expectation and, and more than that, a desire, I think that we are now going to react to what we see and interact with it as if it is real, right? Um, what What is the psychology of a wrestler um, knowing this fact? Yeah. And, 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 and for the purposes of the film, you had to transform into a wrestler. You, yeah. You, you, were, you were fake, you know, you, you were interviewing, you know, folks um, in the crowd and then you, then you became part of the character and started yes. wrestling. I mean, it, it's incredible. I can't wait to watch the movie. But- is being a re- is there something unique about being a wrestler? Like we all perform. Like I, 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 I so. tell stories on stage, and you and, do as well. And it's, it's changed over the decades too. So coming back to this concept of kayfabe, I thought that your definition of it actually is is great. It's perfect, and I didn't mean to like to muddy it. Yeah. Um, but what's what I think is is important to also understand is that the definition of it has changed okay. relatively recently, and that until uh, recently, kayfabe was actually more of like a contract between wrestlers, right? Mm. Yes, there were fans, spectators who understood that it was scripted, um, but not all of them, and I think actually, you know, for a long time, a bit of a minority. Um, but kayfabe used to be more of like a sacred code between wrestlers. Kayfabe was their commitment to the gimmick, to the rivalries, to the fakery, um, whether or not the fans understood what it was. Um, and so, you know, k- keeping kayfabe meant um, never getting to the venue with a bad guy, if you're with a heel, if you're a face, right? Right. Or never like sitting next to, you know, your opponent on a plane, or if you are publicly seen with your, with your rival, um, I guess, you know, acting on that in a way, you know, (laughs) confronting that person for the public to believe that these rivalries are real. Um, that all changed in the nineties. 
Um, I think, you know, that after the Montreal screw job, I, I would say heart? after the Montreal screw job, I think maybe, um, after the Montreal screw job for sure, if not that, then after Owen Hart's death. Mm, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, the I Mon- feel like it, it was yeah. more like in this podcast era where you can have like a wrestler on a podcast talking yeah. openly about the, the industry. To me, that was like that opened the kimono and it totally breaks kayfabe in that way. Yeah. I mean, for for sh- I think it's safe to say it was the Montreal Scrooge. Like there were other moments that broke kayfabe, but that was the moment where it just kind of was. Uh, it, you know, we were like th- now through the looking glass. That's when, uh, Vince McMahon, uh, now became the chairman Vince McMahon because until then he was like, he was, so he was like the, announcer. he was the owner, but he also like, you only really saw him as a, as a fan, as the, as the commentator. Right. That's right. Um, and then after he got spit in the face by Bret Hart because of this, um, very real, um, scandal where he basically like, um, tricked Bret Hart into losing his belt in his in Montreal in his home country before he left to the WCW. And if none of this makes sense to you, um, which it won't, you which know, it won't. Well, will for some, yeah. but you know, I <laughs> TLDR. If like you're, that. if you're under a certain age, if you're under the age of like you know 35, this probably doesn't make sense right. to you. Um, but uh, I would, anybody over 35, yes, this this, this hits. I you, would like, recommend that you you watch a, a documentary called Wrestling with Shadows, which is um, about Bret Hart and the Hart family. But what's amazing about it is that the document, uh, the documentary filmmakers were actually uh, present and following Bret Hart during this time. So they actually get, Bret Hart wore like a, a, a mic, like a, a, a hidden microphone during a conversation with Vince McMahon, where Vince McMahon tells him he's going to win in a certain way. And then you see the outcome is not that. Anyway, I would recommend you watch that or listen to an episode of Radio Lab podcast called okay. the um, uh, the it's not the Montreal screw job, it's the something else screw job, which is about the Montreal screw job. Anyway, this was the moment when Kayfabe um, was basically shattered. Right. Right. And it became and and it evolved maybe is the more important thing where okay, now we the fans under like Yes, we understood it was scripted, but they're no longer necessarily pretending we don't know. They understand we know and still committing to to the script, still committing to the rivalry. And you start to see wrestlers transform the, the sort of character of wrestlers instead of being these like goofy, you know, caricatures, a Mountie or like, a, you know, a, a, and a... a an know, ultimate it, warrior ultimate, like all that stuff they're just <laughs> yeah. kind of like they are themselves but they have like an exaggerated attitude so, an exaggerated persona and so the the line between what's what's real and fake becomes very blurred and that's kind of the fun of it is trying to understand who are you know what's really going on behind the scenes by what's happening in front of the scenes but in the movie you document indie wrestlers yes is there something different about these indie wrestlers y- yes than, than the you know the wwe's and of the world i think it's knows? much more pure on what that do you level mean? it's pure the first of all I, I found that the passion the love for wrestling is much purer because for these people this is a hobby 
for most of them, it's a hobby, yeah. right? Um, it's not, it's not a career. They all have day jobs. Even the guys, even, you know, my, my trainer, you know, Michael Richard Blaze, he has a day job and this is a guy who has fought in the WWE. Um, so for them, this it's, it comes from, it really comes from their heart and yes, they want to be as good as they can be. But in the end, what they're looking for is, you know, what, what I think keeps them there is a sense of community. It's not, it's not the money. Right. Well, but, and then what, but what about the audience then? And, and I think that, that that's what kind of makes the interaction with the audience much purer as well. Um, is that they, you know, it's when you, when you go to these indie wrestling shows and especially the, the promotion that I was fighting with love pro wrestling, which is kind of representative of another trend in wrestling, which is this much more like inclusive, um, you know, good vibes, wrestling, it's, it's intergender, it's more feminist, sort of leaning, queer friendly. Um, when you, you know, when you're in this community, it actually feels really warm, even when, you know, when, uh, you know, you're with your, your so-called rivals. Um, and so their interactions with the audience, I just find are, are much pure that, that what they get from the audience booing them or cheering them is, um, it really does affect you. Like it really does affect the wrestlers and it really did affect me. How, it, how, it yeah, was because quite, yeah, it was quite like an experience and adrenaline to, and something very cathartic about it too, about like, cause I was, I was a bad, I was a bad guy. I was a heel, heel. Yep. named fake news Neville, uh, a smarmy, you know, villainous elitist, it's kind of assumed left-leaning journalist whose gimmick is that he spreads misinformation about his opponents. And I think there was something very cathartic about um, being out there and being like given permission to be um, the bad guy and like (laughs) get booed because when you, when I am doing real journalism, when I am doing investigative stuff, you do kind of have to be a little confrontational and a little bit um, sneaky in order to get the information you want. And it does sometimes challenge your conscience. Um, but then you go out, but then I got to go out there and I got to play just like a uh, exaggerated negative version of this person and get booed for it. And it kind of felt nice. Right. And, you know, I kind of got to do the things that I sometimes want to do to subjects who like are being evasive and challenging. But then I also think there was something very cathartic for people in the audience who maybe are skeptical of right. mainstream media and um you know may you know or or or, yeah and you know just kind of got got to get something kind of out of their uh out of their system by by booing this this journalist who's like welcoming it now was this was this always part of the movie that you would be in you would become a wrestler yes i would and and that i would be a, a wrestler whose character is is a journalist right well at least that i i still had to pitch it right so you know there is a process to this so the the premise of the movie is that i i wanted to know uh what it's like to be an indie wrestler not a pro wrestler but like someone who moonlights as a wrestler what is that commitment like what does it take what do they get out of it and because i love doing immersion journalism the answer uh, the best answer for me always is like the best way to find out yeah, what it's like amazing. inside of a self culture is to join it 
Um, and so I joined it. Um, but I still, you know, there was no guarantee that I would, um, be able to train well enough, learn this safely enough, um, and that I could like gain the trust of my, of the promotion that was willing to put me on and my trainer, Michael Richard Blaze. Um, so I had to earn that. And then as far as like developing a character, um, or gimmick as they call it, um, I still had to pitch that. Right. And so you see, actually, it's who did you have to pitch that? I, ha- I to pitched pitch it, it to, to, to the, to the, I pitched it to, to Spencer Love, who's the okay. founder of, yep. of, of Love Pro and to Michael, um, and to, uh, my opponent, Taryn from accounting, not a real accountant, right. actually a grade one teacher. Um, and T Y Jackson, um, who's a policy analyst in Israel. Oh, wow. And he was my, he was my tag team partner. So I pitched it to them and it's, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's incredibly awkward and tense. And this was one of those moments where I realized that like this, this, um, this philosophical concept of kayfabe that you're very interested in and I'm very interested in that I really want to explore in this movie. They don't give a crap about that. Like they, they, like for them, kayfabe really is, is limited to wrestling and, and for them, it's, you know, k- kayfabe should serve the audience. The audience comes first. And so when I pitched them this idea of this smug, elitist, smarmy, villainous journalist, and I had all these ideas of how I could like introduce myself, I wanted to like actually present as a TV anchor and I wanted to interview wrestling fans, but I also wanted to like be real smug about it and like question them about like, what's the, why do you like wrestling? Like, don't you realize that it's scripted and like, you know, and, and also make these terrible assumptions about wrestling fans. That is not true, Mm. but that is publicly perceived, assumed as true, which is that wrestling fans are, uh, uneducated, always like, you know, very right leaning that they, that there's a, uh, an overlap with like anti-vaxxers and mega people. That's kind of the assumption about who likes wrestling. And I wanted to play that up and, um, and kind of make a fool of myself in that way. But they hated that. They absolutely hated that. It's in the trailer. Yeah. They hated it so much to the point where I was afraid that I could, that this movie could fall apart, that they could say, actually, like, we are, we're out. Right. Like, if that is how you view, like, if, if that's how you view our wrestling fans or if that's what you want to do with this, we're out. And I think what they saw, and very intelligently, is that, you know, in my attempt to sort of, like, do some commentary about the kinds of people who mock wrestling. I was in effect making a mockery of it, which is not what I wanted to do, but in effect, that's how it would come across. And so um, fake news's character changed instead of targeting the fans. He was targeting two specific opponents, Michael and Taryn. And that's when my gimmick of like spreading um, misinformation about my opponents kind of became the like the the core trait of my character. That's what made him fake news. It wasn't that he was like left wing. Um, it was that he uh, that he spreads misinformation about his opponents. Right. Right. Yeah. So you know, so, so so you you know part of this immersive uh, journalism 
you you want to unpack what it means to be an indie wrestler. What does it mean to be an indie wrestler? What is the you know obviously if you're you know tearing the the, the school from teacher, account, yeah <laughs> right you you're you know nine to five you're yeah. you're going and you're oh you're dude, a school teacher and then at night you probably have to train yes that's that and that's it like you know just to to fight at this local level of maybe maybe a match a week maybe a match every two weeks um you know you might travel to vancouver or winnipeg but most likely if you're traveling it's like around central alberta just at that level you're in the gym about four days a week wow yeah and so for i think this i think movie, by the way you, you were in this you were in this i was in the gym once a week <laughs> okay i was in okay. the gym once a week um and you had a good base you had a good uh yeah. okay yeah i think i started at like every two weeks and then it was once a week and then in the last couple of weeks before my 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 match my actual match uh i was there about twice a week okay and, now I'm, um, I'm I'm assuming that you took this seriously because you didn't want to look like an idiot. No, you know, I no, no. I was I was really I was really afraid of making a mistake, like right. lo- like forgetting my lines, but worse than forgetting my lines, like forgetting my moves. Yeah, right. Um, I used to I used to be a rapper, and I I still like am traumatized from the the one time that I uh, entered like a freestyle battle, and I I had like one. I had like I dropped like two bars, got a big reaction from the crowd, and just went blank. No way! Completely. Oh blank. wow! It was and it was. I done. think I saw that it at was eight miles. Over. <laughs> yeah, it was like right at eight mile. It was over, right? And that's I think that like that's what my biggest fear was. Um, but you see a little bit of this in the movie. What's What's really great is that like the the wrestlers they. They, they don't rehearse it a lot, but they rehearse it before the match over and over and over again. So that's fresh in their minds. And um, with this repetition and the ref is there too, sort of listening in. So the ref is almost like a stage manager, right? you know, with like the script in his head. And a lot of it's improv, uh, but, you know, there's sort of like this general arc and then there's these major beats and the wrestlers are, you see them like kind of... If if you see their lips moving, it probably they're, they're looks speaking. like they're they're talking trash to each other. Right. But they are aggressively guiding each other through the uh, next moves. Right. But the trick is actually to say it so like to kind of like say it into your arm or like say it down like say it downward so that people don't see your lips moving. But they're essentially like guiding each other through the next moves. So it's incredibly intensive. It's incredibly yeah. um, involved. I, I I was just curious about the economics of it because of course people. People have their own careers. How much does an average indie wrestler make? No, I mean, not a lot. Like, I think it depends how how successful, like, the promotion is. I mean, Edmonton has a very, has a, has a pretty lively wrestling scene. I think um, it would, it would put a lot of other cities to, to shame or, you know, it's definitely like the envy of a lot of cities. We have five promotions here wow. and they do pretty well. Right. So I think those wrestlers are able to make, you know, maybe a, maybe a hundred bucks right. a night per match, maybe, right. maybe a little bit more. Um, it's not, it's not a lot. Yeah, right. and they're, you know, and, and when, and when they're the traveling, they they're usually paying for their own travel as well, right? So, oh wow, yeah, 
But the product, you know, and with Love Pro, the production quality is actually quite high as well. So there's a lot of other people being paid. And I ask that question because this is not a, this is not a money maker. Even if you're a teacher, it's not even a, you know, that much of a money maker because it's, you know, it probably pays for your travel, your outfit and whatnot. That's what I mean by it's, it's pure passion. Yeah. Right. Like nobody is forcing them to do this. You know, they, I'm, I'm sure none of them have like husbands and wives at home who are like, no, you have, like you have to wrestle today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, the, yeah. I mean, I, I find it um, really impressive and kind of inspiring to see that level of dedication. Some might call it obsession. Um, I think it's both. Um, but you know, for it, I, I think that once you start to see how people transform, um, kind of emotionally in a way, um, the sort of catharsis or like inner confidence that they're tapping into a lot of wrestlers I found to be very shy. Interesting. Yeah. Um, a lot like, you know, you, you, it's, it's sort of on a spectrum, but you would think given the nature of the performance, they would all have big personalities. They would all be like, you know, quite outgoing. It's not true. Uh, I, I think that maybe it's true of like half of them. Uh, maybe, maybe even less another half. They're like, they're very shy. Yeah. But then when you pull on your gear and you start to transform into that other person, um, well, you, you know, you're tapping into it, into another, another part of you. Um, and also it's like, like I said, a sort of amplified version of you as well. And so you can do things, say things, get away with things in the ring that you can't in real life. Yeah. Um, is there, is there, is there, is there a hope, is there some sort of hope for these, um, indie wrestlers to make it like, make it like they go to the AEW or the WWE? Oh yeah. Is there, is there that, that aspiration? Yeah. Yeah. For, for. A lot of them, uh, especially the younger ones, for sure. Um, but uh, but that you know the age range is really like it's quite right. broad. You know, um, when I would when I would train, I was training with people in their late teens, early twenties, and people in their forties right. as well sometimes. Um, and so yeah, for the younger ones, I think there is. But the older they are, the more I think. Um, you know, I think more pragmatic they are. And you, you actually, you meet two characters like this, two people, uh, subjects like this in, in the movie. You meet Taryn from accounting, who's my age, who's 38, got into this pretty late, yeah. kind of on a whim, kind of in the way that like, you know, someone takes up burlesque or roller derby or drag. And actually I think all of those and wrestling have a lot in common, by the way. And then you meet uh, Ahmed, also known as T.Y. Jackson, who's 23, just finished uh, his, just got his degree in economics, you know, but he's, he's 23, he's really talented. And, you know, they're both really talented, but for Taryn, like her, her body's catching up. Like she understands that she, there's a mm. limited period that she can do this and she wants to get the most out of it right now. And it was always really about like uh, tapping into this, like, um, this, this place for, for better self-esteem and with T.Y. I mean, he would love to be a, a pro wrestler. He would yeah. love to be a pro wrestler full time. Um, AEW, um, all elite wrestling, which is like the first, you know, major challenger to the WWE, which has had a monopoly for over a generation now. They've, um, 
they actually have a great program where when they travel throughout the cities, they um, bring in local indie wrestlers to um, be part of the show as well. Um, and so someone like Taryn has actually fought in AEW before. And so, wow. so a lot of the people that I have have had opportunities with AEW or Next, um, some of the other. Like, okay, you so know, the, there, there is yeah, a pipeline so there. Okay. There is a pipeline there. Um, I just I just find that this business, this wrestling business, is inc- to me, it's actually one of the most incredible businesses that the world has ever created. Why? Because it is purely based on our imagination. It's something that can sell out arenas or theaters or small venues or stadiums. And people are engrossed in this fairy tale. Yes. Uh, and, and there's nothing like it. There's something great about the simplicity of it. It is mm. every match is a, is a, is a, is a fable of sorts, a story of like right versus wrong. And usually right w- wins out, but sometimes what does it, it doesn't. Yeah. What does it say about human? What does it say about us that we are, we're so into this? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what does it say about us? I mean, I, I, I think it just taps into a very instinctive idea of the world that like th- there should be order to it. Mm. And every match teaches us that there's not always order to the world. Sometimes the moral compass, the face, the baby face, uh, is able to overcome and order is restored. And sometimes he's not all right. Sometimes the heel, the person who, who fights dirty, who, does cheap moves, who violates the the moral order, who um, knocks out the ref and then turns, you know, turns order upside down completely. Sometimes he wins. And that's, Mm. that's sort of the lesson is, is that in life you meet both people. And, and maybe the lesson is that in, in life we are both people. So I want, I want to, I want, the last question I have is, um, I, I, I talked about this in a previous podcast, but obviously you've been following what's been happening with Vince McMahon um, and his sort of allegations. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's been to an extent I have been. Yes. And what I find interesting is that Vince McMahon has always played in this world of kayfabe. The, the, this idea of, of, you know, is it, is it real? Is it fake? Is it what? And I feel like when you cross those boundaries throughout your entire life, you almost think that things are not real and, and yeah. it can get you into trouble. And I wonder okay. if that's gotten I, him into trouble. I, I, I'm not going to speculate if, if it has. It, it probably has. I, I think you're, you're hitting on something very real about some wrestlers who spend their entire lives in this. For me, I experienced it with a wrestler named Teddy Hart when I profiled him for Rolling Stone. What, and what was that? Um, what was what, what, what like what, what was that that he was caught in this? Teddy sort of- Hart was always, um, he just was always performing his gimmick, mm. and it gave him almost like a probable deniability that when he would do things that were harmful, offensive, a little bit scary, he could very easily. I experienced this in the interview and I've, I've, you know, I've talked to my friend, um, Fred Croach, who, who made a, a docu, docu-series called Dangerous Breed about, um, Teddy Hart. And, um, and it's, it's, it's also actually a, a, a true crime story about a missing person, 
um, his his former girlfriend. And I guess anyway, <laughs> mm, alleged. Um, but uh, yeah, Teddy, like you know, you would be interviewing him, and 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 he could he could start to become pretty scary and intimidating. And then, you know, I don't know if, if he, if he just sort of like clicks in and sees some fear or concern or whatever, and then he could just quickly pull back and just pretend like that is just him in character. Interesting. And this would, this, this is part of what, um, got him in trouble in pro wrestling all the time is that he really, he couldn't turn off this gimmick in the change room. So he was, you know, in the, in the locker room. So he was always getting into fights, you know, uh, often like having these confrontational moments. And then in the ring, he would perform, you know, what is known as like a shoot, which is basically when you go off script and you just do your own thing, you go rogue basically. And he would go rogue. Um, and, (laughs) And try to sell it to the crowd as if it it is real and it would cause a lot of confusion. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that affected his personal life where he was sort of floating through, where he does float through as if like everything is just, everything is, everything is kayfabe. So, so to me, the reason why social media is kayfabe is because you, um, you can, if let's say you put out a tweet, it, 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 and it's opinionated and you get status, you get admiration for that particular tweet, you would most likely repeat that with a, another tweet sure. that might lean a little bit more. And then you actually might become that person yes. that the audience sort of, you become captured in a way from the so, audience. And, and I feel like maybe that happens in wrestling. I think, I think it does. I think it happens in real life all the time. I think, I think social media very much is sort of our, it is, it is like the, the commoners kayfabe. There you go. It really is. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think about that all the time. Like, you know, when, when there is, uh, you know, when there's sort of like an expectation of who you are that you have set for yourself through your own social media, like, uh, content and, and I guess, you know, self branding. And then you're out in an, at an event and it's public and you're interacting with people who only know you in this way. Right. Are you going to really remain yourself? Mm. And I totally, I think, and this is why this movie is so interesting. Uh, Omar, I, I could talk to you forever about this subject. It's it's a it's a concept that I love. I cannot wait for the movie that is dropping Thank on you. February twenty third, twenty twenty four. We have a launch party on February twenty twenty two. Are there still tickets for the launch party? There are, are there? yes. Okay, so it's at the Rec Room, South Edmonton. It is part of a wrestling match. Love Pro Wrestling has a it's their it's their Thursday night event. Love it. And so it's going to be the match followed by a screening and Q and A in the ring. So everybody watch the movie on CBC Gem, February 23rd. I can't, you know, I'm really thankful. Again, you've inspired me through my entire career and just, it's an honor to have you here. Yeah, it's an honor to be talking with you, man. All right. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks.